Welcome to the Accessibility Solutions Podcast, hosted by Linda Hunt, an award-winning accessibility consultant, speaker, and author. With over 30 years experience in senior management roles and a deep passion for creating inclusive environments, Linda brings us unmatched expertise and credibility to our discussions. Join us as we explore transformative power of accessibility and inclusion in today's world. Through captivating conversations, Linda shares her wealth of knowledge, provides practical solutions, and sheds light on the latest trends and advancements in the field. Whether you're a business owner or a disability advocate or simply curious about the world of accessibility, this podcast is your go-to resource. Get ready to unlock new perspectives, break down barriers, and embark on a journey of empowerment. Are you ready to create a more inclusive world? Let's begin. Welcome to the Accessibility Solutions Podcast. So Tracy O'Dell is the president of Citizens with Disabilities Ontario and the second vice president of the Council of Canadians with Disabilities. Tracy has a master's degree in critical disability studies. She was born with SMA type 2 and Tracy grew up in an institution. This experience galvanized her desire to live in the community and make it possible for others to do the same. Tracy is credited with starting Nurturing Assistance, which enables parents with disabilities to be involved, loving, and capable parent to their young children. Using Nurturing Assistance, Tracy raised two daughters with her husband while working full-time and volunteering on boards and on boards to provide attendance services and raise awareness of issues relating to disability. I myself have known Tracy for a number of years, and I am pleased to welcome Tracy to our summit to kick off our advocacy session. So Tracy, go ahead. Okay. Well, thank you very much for the invitation to do this. It's always a very busy week being um, Access Awareness Week, and it's good to have chances to get together over things. I'm going to spend about five minutes talking about different styles of advocacy that I have used over the years. I do have a little bit of trouble speaking, so if you want me to repeat anything I've said, please feel free to ask me. It doesn't bother me. It doesn't hurt my feelings. Like It's okay. I'd rather that you understand. So I've been involved with advocacy all of my life, and it seemed to that the type of advocacy seemed to mold itself in a different way for each of the different things. And I'll just highlight some of the big ones. So the first was getting myself out of the institution. I went when I was seven years old, and it was just for kids with physical disabilities. And at 18, signed myself out to be able to live in the community. And that was just because I was fortunate to be turning 18 at a time when there were various demonstration projects happening around the province where you could live in the community and an apartment shared with another person and attendance would be available to assist with all the activities of daily living. Not quite around the clock at first, but without that help, I was going to be sent to live in a nursing home for seniors. And when you're 18 and you want to go to a Janice Joplin concert or something like that, you know, the thought of being a senior's home, you know, at that age was just like the last thing. So I was very lucky to do that. And so on that one, I kind of rode on the coattails of things that other people were doing. Like I had an opportunity to give my ideas as to what I thought living in the community would look like. And my friend who was the same age as as I, we were about 17, we had a thing that described it and um, the parents were angry with us. They said, like, we want you to be serious. 
And what we described was, you know, having our own apartment, attendants would come and go as we needed them. They could be friends if you wanted to, but it was, you know, that wasn't important. And they didn't have to keep a chart and write down things that they did. Like it was not a hospital environment. So that was my first thing. And then with the same organization, it was run by a board of directors who were not themselves people with experience of disabilities, right? Like they they worked in the FISDIS biz, but they were not themselves people that needed these services. So over time, this is a whole other story, but over time, the services started to deteriorate and we ended up getting the Ministry of Community and Social Services to come and meet with us. They were funding the organization at the time. And we said like, here's what's happening, you know, with your dollars. It's supposed to be for helping us live independently and instead you know people are not showing up for bookings as we would call it people weren't getting the services that they weren't supposed to be able to get and, and weren't able to get. And as a result of that, there was kind of like a revolution. The people on the board were very upset and insulted that we were criticizing their management of the organization. And especially since they were volunteers on the board, you know, so where were we coming from, you know, being critical of that? If we thought we could do better then you know, go right ahead. And so we turned to the ministry person who was there at the time and said, it's seems like there's a lot of openings on the board suddenly because people got offended and they resigned. And so made a deal that a number of the consumers, as we called ourselves, a number of the consumers were on the board. So it became a kind of a hybrid. And that was like a really, that was like a long process getting it done. And that's another thing altogether. So I call that Morrison takeover. Another thing that happened before I left Morrison was I had met my husband and we were expecting a baby baby. And as so when our baby was born, my husband was, you know, almost like a single parent because I wasn't able to assist my, my ability to move my arms and so on was limited and still is. And I didn't realize like how left out I would feel, you know, because I couldn't just jump in and grab the baby when she was crying or, you know, just jump in and, and play with her when I wanted to. If she was happily laying somewhere where I could maybe interact with her, my husband was too tired to help me to do that. Like he needed to have a a rest because he was duty, you know, 24-7 kind of thing, as you are with a newborn. So I, I came up with the idea that I needed someone to help me look after the baby to do things the way I want to do. And in fact, the very first big fight my husband and I had was whether or not our daughter would be wearing socks, you know, she was like two months old and it was middle of the summer and it was like really hot. And my husband like didn't want her to wear socks. He thought she'd be uncomfortable and she'd kick them off anyways. And I wanted her to look cute because I wanted the socks to go with the dress. And anyways, it was the first big fight that we ever had. And that was kind of what came up with this idea of having a nurturing assistant. And so through the connections that we made at the Ministry of Community and Social Services, who were providing the funds for our tenant services, I made up a proposal explaining what this service would be because at first they thought I was talking about babysitting and it's like no no it's not babysitting because I'm there and I'm giving the same direction as I would if they're helping me to get dressed kind of thing so they agreed that that would be something that would be within the scope of services so they didn't really make a new policy or new rule we didn't have to go to court we didn't have to you know do anything like that but we were able to use some of that service dollars for that purpose 
and the staff would be separate and apart from the other attendants because didn't want to make it a situation where a person needed help, say, to go to the bathroom and the attendant was busy with the baby and, you know, like help me with the baby. And, you know, so we just thought we'd be able to have totally different folks hired to help with the baby. And that worked out really well. And it was it's proposed that it would phase down over time. So as my child was more physically independent, that I could interact more on a verbal basis than on a physical basis. So we were able to get that in place. And that was something that I thought of because I needed it, but it became entrenched in, in Ontario with people who needed attendant services. So if a person has, say, direct funding or they're in a support service living unit, say with March of Dimes or something like that, then the funding can be there to assist people to look after their children. And then that turned into being the fathers as well as the mothers, which is great because a lot of fathers with disabilities want to be active with their children as well, right? So it uh, just helped with making the connection and being able to play with your own child and having a bit of a a bond with them and so on. So that was something that's happened without a major policy change. Then I was involved with direct funding, which is how we ended up with having funding as a self-manager to provide with attendance at home. And that involved kind of like a coalition of people coming together, much like the Accessible Housing Network. It was kind of like that kind of grouping of people coming together who wanted to see direct funding happen as an alternative for the other types of services that were in the community. And then like over time, I see, you know, what has been described as like swarm of bees approach to advocacy that you see lots of people doing their little piece of it, you know, making their stings with their stingers and drawing attention. And so sometimes things like that could happen. And, you know, the, the parents of children who are on the autism spectrum were very successful with advocacy at the beginning of the Ford government when he came in and it was their funding arrangement was going to be changed in such a way that the level of service that could be provided with children would be far, far less and would end, you know, like at a certain time, even though autism is a condition that you have for your life. So I think like, you know, just today that it's, I think, protecting the the gains that we have won over time and then also carving out the near turf, like with housing, like this is amazing that it's hit the political agenda. You know, we're seeing articles about it in that paper all the time. You know, so housing has become a big issue and other disability issues as well, I think are great, but we have to protect what we have won. So like attendance services that we have won, accessible transportation, um, we're, we're seeing that getting eroded and, and pulled back, you know, and cut back as what was being available. And so I think we need to do that. And Citizens with Disabilities Ontario organization, we dive in on issues that are decided at the provincial level. Like at the other session, it was said that the municipal level is the best level to deal with certain issues, which is absolutely true. And the provincial level is the best level to deal with other issues. So we work on, on that. We have started up action groups, which form because we have, you know, a couple of people who want to work on something and work on a change for something. And we will support the getting an action group up and going. And then whatever, whatever people want to do to make that action happen, whether it is climbing the stairs of the legislature or, you know, making our own convoy and blocking off a road with, uh, you know, five or 10 people in their mobility uh, devices, um, you know, whatever choose to do, that action group can come up with ideas and bring it to the board. And if, 
you know, we agree to it, then, you know, we're off and running. So that's very exciting. And I think that's going to allow us to make some really concrete progress. If you are not a member of Citizens with Disabilities Ontario, membership is free. And, you know, we'd love to have you join because we're very interested in people who are themselves people with disabilities, who are residents of Ontario and also allies of our organization who can assist us with different issues that we are involved in. So very, very happy to have you join on. And any material that goes out afterwards, we'll make sure you know how to let us know that you'd like to apply for a membership. And we've just gone through our annual meeting and we're getting reorganized as a, you know, again after that. So I think it'll be a year where we can do lots of good things. I'm just going to stop there. And Thank you, Tracy. And I will say as a board member, of Citizens with Disabilities Ontario, and I certainly will make sure that the organization's information is shared. Thank you for joining us on the Accessibility Solutions Podcast hosted by Linda Hunt. We hope these discussions have inspired you and provided valuable insights into the world of accessibility and inclusion. If you're ready to take the next steps in creating an accessible and inclusive environment, we invite you to book a personalized accessibility solutions consultation with Linda. As an experienced accessibility consultant, Linda will work closely with you to develop innovative solutions tailored to your unique needs and challenges. Together, you'll navigate the complexities of accessibility regulations, explore inclusive design principles, and implement practical strategies to ensure equal access for all. Don't miss this opportunity to make a real difference. Visit our website at solutionsforaccessibility.com. And that's the number four. So solutions for accessibility.com. Schedule your consultation today. Let's transform your space into an inclusive and welcoming environment for everyone. Thanks again for listening to the Accessibility Solutions Podcast. Stay tuned for more empowering episodes as we continue our journey towards a more accessible world.